0: Thank you so much, praise team. Thank you, Brother Cody, for leading us this morning in worship, leading us to the throne. And now, let us get into God's Word. We're in 1 Timothy, chapter 2. I want to invite you to turn there with me in your copy of God's Word, your smartphone, your tablet, wherever you may go uh, to reading God's Word with us. The words will be on the screen as well for you. Um, We've been talking uh, in 1 Timothy about House rules. And we said, these are rules not for our house, not for your house, but for God's house. Rules for God's house. We talked about uh, last week, the church's message and how we should keep the main thing the main thing. Today, we're going to talk about the church's members. The church's members. When you think about when Jesus went and overturned the tables. And uh, he, over, he overturned the tables of the money changers. And then he threw out the people that were selling pigeons. And all of those things in the temple court. You remember what he said. He said, my house should be called a prayer, a house of prayer for the nations. My house should be called a house of prayer for the nations. And we think about that. That's exactly what God wants for his house today, he wants this house to be a house of prayer for the nations. Um, as I get into chapter two and we begin to read, you're going to realize with me that chapter two of First Timothy is a very uh, difficult passage. It's a very controversial passage because Paul's going to say because Paul is going to say that the women in church should be quiet, and some of some of you are thinking, well, either he's really brave or he's really stupid. Well, we're going to find out in just a minute which one of the two I am, okay? Uh, as we look at this. Why in the world would you do that on Mother's Day? Well, at the very end of the passage, you'll see why, okay? But uh, let's, let's stand together and read second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1. First of all, then... I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let us pray together. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. And Father, I ask now that you would add understanding and insight to the reading of your word, Lord. That you would bless uh, those that hear. And Father, that we would be submissive to your word, Lord. And that we would be willing to obey everything that you say to us. Father, we love you. We thank you most of all for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, the one and only mediator between God and man. And Lord, we give you praise and glory and honor for who you are and all that you've done, Lord. And may we do so as we depart, so that those that know us see Jesus living in us, they would hear and be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so rule number one is keep the main thing the main thing. We talked about how the main thing is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about rule two, which is this house shall be called a house of prayer. This house shall be called a house of prayer. That's the rule. That's the number two rule. And it's really, really an important rule. And as we think about all the people that enter into this place, we need to make sure that every person that comes into this place is unhindered in their coming to worship and to pray before God. And so that's a personal responsibility that each and every member of the church bears. You and I bear that responsibility to help make this place, this house, a house of prayer. So let me remind you now from... 1 Timothy chapter 2, that if we will make this house of prayer, if we make ourselves a people of prayer, make prayer a priority, what God will do through our prayers. Okay? This is these are four things that God will do through our prayers. So number one, prayer promotes the gospel. Prayer is going to cultivate hearts, it prepares hearts to hear the gospel. There's four types of prayers that Paul lists beginning in verse 1. He says, first of all, I urge that supplications... We think about the urging, by the way. That's a strong word in the Greek language. We saw that same word today in our Bible study class, in our Sunday school class uh, that Paul uses in uh, chapter 12 of Romans. But he's strongly urging that the church would pray. He's pleading with the church to be a church of prayer. He says, I urge that supplications be made. We think about supplication. That is asking God to supply what is needed. That's what a supplication is. We're asking God for something. That's the most natural way that we pray to God. Oh, God, I need this. God, help me with this. When you pray to God, you're asking for, ask God to bless your food. You're asking God to supply nourishment to your body and not make you sick to your stomach. Now, some of you, you might need to change your, your dieting choices. Me too. That might help with that prayer a little bit. But supplication, asking God to give us the good things that He likes to give us. And then the, the next word that he uses is prayers. I urge that supplication, prayers, and that word prayers simply means talking to God. It's people addressing God. It's probably talking about the written prayers of the church of the first century, though. And some of these were already floating around. And we already know, we know that already at this time, the Lord's Prayer was a written prayer that the church was memorizing and learning together. I'm thankful for my grandmother that taught me the Lord's Prayer in the old King James Version. I didn't know what half the words meant at that point, but I knew that I was talking to God and asking His will to be done in my life. And so we think about that. Those are written prayers. So he says supplication, asking God for what I need. Prayer, simply talking to God or maybe reciting prayers that are written For me to the Lord to help guide my heart to Him. And then the third one is intercessions. He talks about intercessions. Well, that's going to God on someone else's behalf. Praying for God's work in someone else's life. Lifting up a name. It's exactly what we do on Wednesday night when we come together. And uh, either Brother Chris Larson or Brother Tony McFarlane lead us in the prayer list. And we have all of those names written out before us, and we mention those names to God, what we are doing is we are interceding. We are going to God on their behalf. And Paul urges that that type of prayer would be prayed. And then he goes on to say, thanksgiving. And that thanksgiving be made. All right. when we think about thanksgiving, that's simply this. It's giving God credit for what He's done. Somebody say amen to that. Doesn't God deserve the credit for what he's done? Thank God for it. Now, God's done some amazing things in your life and in my life. And if we could, if we could open up the, the, the altar and just give testimonies, we'd be here until Jesus comes back. Because we've got so much stuff that we can be thankful for, right? Now, Paul is mentioning all of these different prayers. But notice that he says he wants all of this to be made for what? For all people. and it's really important. I don't want you to miss that because the church should be a praying church. But here's the thing. When we pray, we need to have in our hearts and on our minds the people of the world that need to know Jesus Christ. Now, as we pray, we are supposed to be praying for the salvation of those people that do not know him. And that's part of what God wants us to do in our prayers. Christians must be reminded to pray for everyone. Not just those that we've come accustomed to praying for. Not just the big ticket items either. But the smaller things. Not just the things we want to happen for ourselves, but what Jesus wants to happen in other people's lives. Sometimes we pray pretty selfish prayers, don't we? We forget the world around us. And we pray about the needs in our own. Now listen, it's not, there's nothing wrong with praying for what you personally need and what you personally are dealing with. But you must always remember when you pray that there are others around you who need so much more. You know the Lord. And you're praying to him. Your salvation is secure if you know Jesus. But for so many around you, that's not the case. Don't ever forget to pray that people would be saved. I hope that some of you Christians right now today, you're praying this morning that someone will put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today during this service. I hope that's part of your prayer this morning. Is that you would be praying that, that someone would be saved. And then Paul goes on to say, For kings and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now as he, he talks about this, Paul is talking about praying about if, if we're gonna to, uh, apply today's situation to, to this passage and ask how does this passage speak to today, it would include for our local officials, prayers for our local officials, prayer for our mayor, prayer for our governors, our governor, prayer for our judges, prayer for our legislators, prayer for our president. And let me remind you what Paul also says in Romans 13. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And when you think about this for a moment, it's a really startling thing for Paul to say and claim, knowing that Paul lived in a time and a period in the Roman Empire when one of the worst horrible dictators was on the throne. Who burned Christians at the stake. Nero was a madman. And yet Paul said to pray and submit to Nero. How much more today would Paul say to us to pray for our leaders. Whether we agree with them or not. Whether they are on our side of the political fence or not. Whether they are red, white or blue or whatever. We should be praying for our leaders. It's something that God calls us to do. The alternative to submission to the governing authorities and prayer for them is pure rebellion. Not only against our leaders, but against God. So we should pray. Why not pray that they would lead in a godly way? In a way that promotes the gospel. See, here's the thing. When we pray, when we submit to authority... That fosters the type of society where Christians can fulfill their God given purpose here on this earth to build churches, to share the gospel, to raise godly families, to care for the poor, to care for the sick, to care for the needy. And God is glorified whenever the church has that ability and we fulfill it. And so as we pray, Paul says, This is good, it's pleasing. In the sight of God our Savior. Why is it? Because he desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And here's what prayer does. Prayer is the mechanism that cultivates the soil of the heart to receive the gospel. I believe with all my heart that as we pray, God opens up hearts for the gospel. There are things that God will do whether Christians pray or not. But there are some things that God will not do until the church begins to pray about it. And there's a lot of of locked doors. There's a lot of hard ground that surrounds this corner right now. On the corner of Lillian Highway and 61st. There's a lot of hard ground out there that needs to be tilled up through prayer. There's a lot of hard ground in your family. A lot of locked hearts. A lot of hard hearts. Prayer is the mechanism that will till those hearts up and make them ready for the gospel. Then he goes on to say that God desires that all people... I'm going to say this. I I had a Greek professor that used to hammer this. And he said, when the Bible says all, it means all. All means all. And that's all all means. There's so many people that want to quantify this. And going, God does desire that all people will come to know him. But he knows that some people won't. So he doesn't really desire those people. So Paul is talking about the people that really, you know, are going to come to know the Lord. And that's the ones that God really desires to come to know him is the ones that he knows will already come to know him. Listen, that's that's a bunch of hoopla. And I. I I'm telling you you take the Bible and you twist it and you contort it you can make it say anything you want it to say but listen what the Bible says right here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is it says that God desires verse 4 all people to be saved and come to know the, come to the knowledge of the truth And see the truth is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect sinless life then he died on a Roman cross And then he was raised again on the third day to life, and he offers eternal life to any who believe in him. That's the truth. And what Paul says is that he desires that all men will come to that knowledge and trust Jesus and be saved. If that's on the heart of God, shouldn't it be on the heart of every Christian? Shouldn't it be on your heart and my heart? For my brothers and my sisters, For my aunts and my uncles, for the guy that cut me off, for the lady in line at Walmart at the checkout counter. For every person that I encounter. God desires all people. And so prayer, what it does is it promotes the gospel and it cultivates the gospel, cultivates the ground for the gospel, it prepares the human heart for the gospel. Prayer is the mightiest agent to advance God's work. What Ian Bounds said. The mightiest agent. And I'm going to quote one of our own here. This is uh, Reverend Jim Simmons. Uh, You saw him up here playing the guitar just a moment ago. I asked him if I could quote him. He doesn't know what I'm about to quote though. But there was one day that he said this. He said, prayer is my answer to everything. And I absolutely love that. I wrote it down because I thought it was so profound. Prayer is my answer to everything. You've got struggles in your life. You have difficulty. You have hardship. Maybe things are going great. Maybe things are wonderful. That's why Paul includes thanksgivings. If someone else in your life is struggling, they're going through something else. That's why Paul says intercession. Prayer is my answer for everything. William uh, Cooper said it this way, and his his name looks like Cowper, but this is how he says it. I think I have a slide with this on there, Miss Sue. I don't know if if it showed up or not. I hope it did. Okay. He says, When we pray, uh, when we don't pray, we quit the fight. Prayer keeps the Christian's armor bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Why? Because prayer storms the gates of hell. Hell cannot prevail against our prayers. And when we pray, before that gospel encounter, we are cultivating that ground and preparing that moment to share the gospel. But secondly, prayer not only does that, prayer also protects and preserves the unity of the church. It pre- protects unity. So we think about this for a minute. He, he mentions the men. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. There's a lot packed into that verse. And, it, and, and by the way, we're going to get to the women in just a minute. So ladies, don't fall asleep on me. Hold on tight because we're going to get to you in just a moment. But he does talk about men. And this statement is directed toward men. And as I think about that, it, it, makes, it makes me wonder. makes me question, why is Paul really pointing the finger at men and saying, Men, I desire for you to pray in all places lifting holy hands and without anger or quarreling. You know, I've seen, I've seen women quibble and fight over things and unfriend each other on Facebook and then the next week they're friends again and it's all good. I've seen that happen in the church. But I have seen men, and maybe your experience is different, but this is just my personal experience. I've seen men get entrenched in their own opinion, get bitter and angry and hold grudges for decades in their hearts against other men. Now, maybe maybe women can do that, too. We're all capable of the same sinfulness. But I think Paul is saying in the church, when men quarrel, get angry and quarrel with one another, it can absolutely erode the fabric of the church. And it will ruin the witness of the church. Whenever men fuss and fight about stupid things. And basically it's my opinion over your opinion. Which reminds us of last week's message. About keeping the main thing the main thing. So this is all tied together. And the main thing is the gospel. And remind you of what he talks about. He says about his charge. This is his charge. uh, That every person. whoever you are, would live a life of, of love that issues out of faith. And as we think about that, for you and me today, fighting and arguing over trivial matters is not only ungodly, it hurts the witness of the church. James says that a lack of prayer is at the root of every quarrel that we have. Let me let me point you to that in uh, James chapter four, verse one, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? He's saying that you have desires. The flesh has desires and, and those desires are against the desires of the spirit of God that's within you. And because of that inner war that's happening now you allow that flesh to win for a minute you desire and do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have listen to that part again you do not have because you do not ask so what are they missing are they missing unity they're missing love for one another They're missing the things that they need because they haven't asked of God. They're missing the blessings because they haven't entreated God for the blessings. And then verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion. So even when you do pray, you're praying selfish prayers. You're not praying the kind of prayers that Paul is outlining in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So these kinds of prayers, if we will pray these prayers for one another, It will bring unity in the church. I've often thought this and said this. You cannot stay angry with someone for whom you are praying. If uh, if I'm praying for you, I can't be mad at you. Not long at least. Because as soon as I pray that prayer, God's going to instantly change me. I find that out so often. That whenever I pray for someone else who's bothering me, God changes me. And God will do that for you too. If you'll pray. Hey, if I get on your nerves, I hope that you will pray for me. I hope you will. I need it. But prayer preserves unity. Ephesians 6 and 12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. See, you're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. We're on the same team. We have the same purpose. The same love that went to the cross and died for me. Is the same love that God has for you. But we need to be reminded. That we do have an enemy. And his mode of operation is divide and conquer. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers. Against the. Authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Every moment that you spend angry and quarreling with another, with a brother or sister, is a moment that you're losing the battle against the enemy. We don't have time for that. Take back that territory through prayer. And I'll tell you thirdly, prayer prevents distraction. We talked about keeping the main thing the main thing, but prayer is going to prevent the distraction. Now, these two parts are tied together by this one word in verse 9. There's a word likewise. Likewise. In other words, what Paul is saying is everything that I've said up top to begin with to talk about men praying and lifting holy hands and praying without anger and quarreling, Likewise, in other words, that same charge to the women as well. So everything that we've said to the men, now we can say that to the women because likewise. But if we keep keep on, Paul continues and he adds more. Also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. We think about that apparently. Apparently. What scholars tell us is that some women in the church of Ephesus were of great financial means. And others were not. So there was some disparity in the church financially. And so rather than some of these women of more financial means helping out those of lesser financial means by giving, they flaunted their wealth and they played dress up whenever it was time to go to church. Paul tells them women should adorn adorn themselves with respectable apparel. Well, what does that mean? Well, he tells us with modesty and self-control. Modesty and self-control. Now, without getting too deep into this, apparently some of that apparel was provocative. And it was leading men to not think about Jesus on Sunday morning. And then he goes on to say, not with braided hair, gold, pearl, or with costly attire. So with modesty and self-control, but not with braided hair, gold, and pearls or costly attire. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that women can't braid their hair? No. That's not what he means by that. It doesn't mean that they can't wear gold or pearls. What it means is that when you do that, let it be done in a way that simply is modest. And it's not over the top. And it's not attempting to get attention. And then verse 10, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. And then he goes on to say this last thing that really should adorn a woman more than her outward appearance. What should adorn a woman is what's on the inside and that which flows out of her, which is good works. So let that adorn her. Let that adorn the women. And listen, I know that every single one of you ladies want to look nice, on Sunday morning. I, I understand that that's true. And men. Whenever she asks you how, you, how she looks. On Sunday morning. You need to say whether, whether, whether. Listen guys. If you don't think it. You need to change your heart. But whether you think it or not. You better say you look beautiful. You look absolutely wonderful. You need to say it. And she needs to hear it. And by the way ladies. I've seen, seen you all this morning. And you look lovely. You do. You all do. Yeah, you do. But that's not the point. That's not the point. Here's a, way to, here's a way to think about this, okay? And I want this to get seated in your heart, okay? If people are looking at you when they come to church... They're not looking at Jesus. And so when Paul says likewise, women, be prayerful, be quiet, and I'm not going to dig into all of that, but simply what that means is to be quiet and submissive and, and not holding the position of teaching in the church. And what most scholars say is that that's talking about the position of the elder pastor in the church who stands up before everyone else and teaches. And that person has authority as they share. And what Paul is saying is that women shouldn't need to be looked at. You shouldn't need to be looked at. And that we point, we all point others to Jesus in everything that we do. And so if we think about it that way, we can also say to the men, hey men, don't come to church peacocking. You know you what? Know, okay, maybe I don't know what that word means. Dressing up to the nines, trying to get people to look at you, getting attention from other people. And there's men that, that try to do that in church, too. So that's not, that's not who we should be. That's not what we should do. Instead, we should be, live with modesty and self control, live uh, in a way that is proper, and profess godliness and show good works, and let that adorn us. Now, he goes on to say, let let a woman uh, learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. That's talking about a teachable spirit. It's not saying that a woman can't talk in church or that she can't teach in church. But it's about the position of authority over a man. And then he goes on to say why. Okay, so here is the answer of why. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Okay, so we think about that. So that's the the position uh, of that first position of the man. And in that position, God did something with Adam. He gave Adam his word. Now, do you remember the word in Genesis? What God told Adam was, of any of the trees of the garden, you may eat. Right? Do you remember that? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Now, if you, if you go back and you study the Old Testament, you look in the book of Genesis, Eve wasn't around whenever God gave that instruction. Was she? No, not yet. So God gave his word first to Adam. And so therefore, he gave that responsibility of communicating his word to Eve. Okay? So we get that. So Adam came first, then Eve. And then verse 14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived, and became a transgressor. She went outside of the boundary. Now when she did that, by the way, and Paul knows that his reader understands this, But he goes on to say, because he's talking to Timothy, he knows Timothy knows this, that Adam took from Eve and ate the fruit. And in that moment, he became a transgressor as well. But the problem happened whenever they got things a little bit out of order. And so Paul is saying we maintain the God-given order, the God-given roles of men and women... And then in that place, God blesses. God blesses that when we do that. Okay? And so, if go, he goes on to say, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and in love and holiness with self-control. So prayer prevents distraction. But then lastly, prayer produces fruit. There's always fruitfulness that comes whenever the church prays together. Paul promised that women who devote themselves to bearing children will be saved. Okay? What does that word mean? Here, Paul clearly does not say that having children will save a woman in the eternal sense. That's not what he means by that. Okay? So, what does he mean? What he really means, and what most scholars believe, is that Paul is referring to being delivered from the snare of vanity that had entangled the women. Of Ephesus, the snare of the devil that the women were falling into, and that they would be saved from that. The word saved can be translated rescue or preserved, and here's a couple of, uh, of alternate meanings in the New Testament Matthew 8 25. They went and woke him, saying, Save us. And this is when the disciples were, were going under because the, the, the boat was being tossed back and forth by the waves. And they woke Jesus up and they said, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, what did they want that day? Were they asking Jesus for eternal salvation? Or were they saying, Jesus, don't let us drown? (laughs) They were saying, don't let us drown. Okay, another example, Matthew chapter 9. For uh, the woman with the issue of blood said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. That made well, that's the same word. Okay, so is she asking for eternal salvation in that moment? Or is she asking for her issue of blood to be healed she's asking for healing so the word can mean that as well Matthew 27 39 through 40 and those who passed by derided Jesus saying uh, wagging their heads saying you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days save yourself for if you are the son of God come down from the cross were they talking about Jesus's eternal salvation or were they talking about getting himself down off the cross all right and then also, Paul uses the same word again Second 2 Timothy 4.18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. That same word, rescue there, is the same word that's used. It's sozo. And bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To, be, uh, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, we see from these four examples that the word can be used to mean something other than eternal salvation. And what Paul is promising the women is that if they focus on their God-given role of bearing and raising children, then God will bless that. And He will save them from conforming to the culture around them. They, They will be godly kind of women. The result of faithfulness is fruitfulness. I am so thankful for the women in my life who were faithful. To share the gospel with me and lead me. I think about my grandmother. I mentioned her already. I remember every night that we would stay at her house. We'd climb up in that big king size bed. Because my grandfather would be on the road. He'd be off. He's a trucker. And he was driving a truck on the road. And we'd climb up in the bed and we'd do open windows. We'd do that devotion. And we'd read the Bible together. And then we'd say the Lord's Prayer Together, we did that every time we stayed at my grandmother's house. I remember that. It was imprinted on my life. But I also remember my mother, who lived out the example of love and devotion to her family and service. And I'm so thankful for that. And now I see the same thing in my wife with my children. Loving them and serving her family and being An excellent example of a wife and a mother. And in so many of you, I see the same example, ladies. This is what Paul is referring to. This is the kind of people that Paul has called you to be, the kind of ladies that God has called you to be. And you don't have to be a mother biologically. I want you to hear me now, because I know Mother's Day can be a sensitive time for some people because they... Want to have children and have not had children. Or they've lost their children. I know that that's a sensitive subject. And Paul is not saying that by physically giving birth, you're going to have salvation. That's not what Paul is saying. But what Paul is saying is, if you take your God-given role to nurture and care for children, then God will bless that. You can love, if you don't have children of your own, you can love the parents and the children of the children around you. You can love those children. You can support mothers and pray for godly offspring. You can teach and serve and show up. Whenever we have something going on for children, show up and love those children. And God will absolutely bless that. He will use you in a mighty way. John 14 and verse 14, this is the promise of Jesus. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You notice, he doesn't qualify or quantify to anything. He does say that it needs to be in his name. And what that means is according to his will. If you will do that, then he will bless and he will give. Paul said in Ephesians 3, 20-21, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He's able to do more than we ask or think. That's why this house must be a house of prayer. That's why you need to be a man or a woman of prayer. I wonder what might begin to change in your life, in my life, in this church, in the families of the people that are represented here, in the lives of the children and the grandchildren, in the homes that surround this community, what might begin to change if you and I commit to prayer? Commit to being the people of prayer that God has called us to be. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. For some of you today, the very first prayer that God wants to hear from your heart is Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. We call that the sinner's prayer. And that's the prayer that some of you need to pray today. That's the very first prayer that Jesus will hear from you. If you'll pray that prayer today, He will save you. Others of you, you know Jesus and you need to be praying right now. You need to pray for spiritual territory to be retaken in the lives of people where it's been lost. And you need to be praying that those that don't know Jesus will be saved. Will you join me in that prayer? Today, if you're asking Jesus to be your Savior, pray this simple prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong. I failed to do the things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. Jesus, I believe that You died on the cross for my sin. Even though You had never sinned, You paid my debt. And I owe everything to You. I ask You to forgive me. Come into my heart. I give you my life. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. Give me a home in heaven so that I may be with you forever. I ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant that with all your heart, the Lord Jesus has heard that prayer. And He will do it. He promised to do it. This is His will. That you will be saved. He loves you. And He promises that He will save you if you pray that prayer. And you mean it with all your heart. Now today, if you've prayed it, you meant it with all your heart, and Jesus has saved you, let us know so we can celebrate with you so that we can continue to encourage you. we got resources for you. We want to get you plugged in so that you can grow in your faith. Today, if you're looking for a church home and you know, and God has put it on your heart, that Myrtle Grove Baptist Church is the place for you to serve alongside the saints and be encouraged and worship alongside us. You come. This is your invitation. If you need prayer, our prayer counselors are coming. And so you come and you voice your prayer to the Lord along with us.